Stuff Podcasts. Hello everyone, this episode contains frank conversations about sex, specifically casual sex, queer trans sex, choking during sex, and kinky sex. There's also some swearing, and we touch on sexual assault. As always, some names have been changed, though the stories are true. This podcast was made with the support of New Zealand On Air. Hands up who's had average casual sex. Just joking. I know you have. No, no, no. Okay, maybe you haven't. But if we were all hanging out in real life, there'd definitely be a few hands in the air, including mine. Casual sex can be amazing. The build-up, the want to come back to mine, the excitement of a new body, a new brain. But for a lot of the people that we've spoken to, casual sex means average sex. Please hurry up and come so I can let you get out of my house. With all this pressure comes such an enormous level of insecurity. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't, like, good. (laughs) How is that rewarding for anyone? The good news is that this is all very normal. Sex is like everything else. It takes practice to get good at it. While we're getting out there and having a lot of sex early in our lives, we're still figuring it out, how to have sex, how to have relationships, and what it is that we want. This is Dan Savage. We met him in the last episode. He's the American podcaster and sex advice guru. Almost by definition, we're going to have bad sex during that process. And we're going to have sex that we regret having because that wasn't the right person to have it with or it wasn't the kind of sex that we actually wanted, but we didn't know until we did it. Even in the absence of the tragedy of encountering a malicious actor or somebody who doesn't care about you and uses you in a way, there's just going to be some like bumping up against people who are good people with good intentions as you are good with good intentions. And the two of you add up to bad sex and a bad experience without anybody being an asshole. To find out what good sex is, you need to ask yourself, what would good sex be for you? Hopefully, you've already started to think about that. And then the hard part starts, which is the trial and error of finding other people that you get along with emotionally and figuring out how to have good sex with that other person. I'm Melody Thomas, and this is The Good Sex Project, a series about good sex, good relationships, and how to have them. In this episode, we're diving into the trial and error of finding people you vibe with and then figuring out how to do good casual sex together. We're going to hear from people who are having awesome casual sex, who have really good advice for people who struggle with that. Plus, what role does consent play in hot casual hookups? And what can kinky folk teach the vanilla people about how to keep things safe? This is The Good Sex Project, episode four. What are you into? It's a learning experience, right? It's kind of an exploratory growth phase. This is Saren. Saren's Canadian, but she's lived here in Aotearoa for about 15 years. I currently live in Tamaki, Makoto. I am 37 years old, about to be 38. Oh my God, basically 40. And I identify as a straight but not narrow woman. Saren's been having sex for about 20 years, most of it casual. Her longest romantic relationship was about six months long. So she's done a bit of trial and error. That's kind of how I figured stuff out. You sleep with someone or you hook up with someone and they do something and you're like, either I like that or I don't like that, or I want to do more of that or I don't want to do more of that. And in that sense, like, I'm really glad that I wasn't in a monogamous relationship with one person for, you know, five years or 10 years or whatever, because it gave me a lot of opportunity to be exposed to a whole bunch of, like, different ways of of having sex with people. Saren's role in this episode is half expert, half personal, because she used to host a sex segment on Auckland student radio station BFM, so she does have some expertise. But she's also learned a bit from actual practice. And she's in her late 30s now and feels really good about where she's landed. Something that people in their 30s always used to say to me when I was in my 20s that I always just wrote off as like, yeah, whatever, you're just making yourself feel better about being old, was... Just wait until you hit your 30s. Like, it's so great. 
You might look objectively like you're hottest when you're in your early 20s, but you certainly don't feel your hottest. Like, even if you think you're totally self-confident and you know who you are, like, if you feel like that in your early 20s, like, God, strap in, because by the time you hit your mid to late 30s, and I can't speak for what's after this, but I can certainly say, like, for right now, I feel hotter than I've ever felt because I'm so much more confident and solid in who I am, what my priorities are and what works for me. And all of that lends itself to just feeling like way more comfortable in your skin. So far in The Good Sex Project, we've heard a lot of stories about how we've gotten better at the theory of sexual empowerment than the practice. So we might know what we want, but a lot of us still struggle to make those things happen in real life. I've got one more story like that to share before Saren and some other people show us how they negotiate this stuff. So I feel like sometimes I have made out with men when I didn't actually really want to. This is Harper. We're going to meet her properly in the next episode, but she's got one casual sex story that just sticks in the old brain. And But I've done it because it just felt easier and safer than saying no. But there was this one time in particular where we'd been having some hot conversations... This is with a guy she'd matched with on Tinder. We met. I was like, if you want to come back to mine, come out briefly. And so he came over, made out. He was not a good kisser. <laughs> I know. Gosh. So I didn't really want to kiss him anymore, but I felt like, yeah, that pressure. And then he clearly wanted to come. I wasn't interested in doing anything, but I just wanked him off because it was easier. Yeah. And then he left. This kind of scenario is really common. People going through with sex because it's easier than saying no or changing the script. Or because they feel like they're supposed to be enjoying what they're doing, so they persevere. There's a script about what everybody should want, what a good person wants. This is Dan Savage again. And sometimes what you want is in perfect alignment with what everybody should want, what a good person, we're told, wants. And sometimes you get out there and you're doing what everybody should do and having what everybody should have. and. It's not working for you. It's not making you happy. And I think this is particularly true for women who are socialized to um, not prioritize their own desires, their own needs, um, and to take care of and nurture others, that for women, that process of discovering what works for you takes longer. And this stuff is so difficult for pretty much everyone, but especially if you're part of a group that hasn't been taught to assert themselves. And it's even harder when you're hooking up with someone you don't know that well. But it's not impossible. In my 20s, I probably wouldn't have really had the sort of wherewithal to stop somebody and be like, okay, bro, I know this looks really good on camera, but this doesn't feel good to a human being. We're back with Saren. And now I'm definitely more comfortable saying that. Like, how do we know what we know? We learn. But like, if nobody else has ever told you that, like, right now it looks like you're trying to fuck for a camera that doesn't exist. Like, let's not do that, you know? Or like, actually, 45 seconds of rabbit humping is not what I need right now. But now at this point in time, again, like I'm able to say that and like not feel uncomfortable. If somebody else has a problem with that, you can fuck off and leave, you know? Okay, wow. This is the level of confidence that we're aspiring to. It's a big goal and we won't get there right away, but we can aim for it. And getting started might be easier than you think. For Saren, a bit of the work that goes into making sure a hookup's a good one happens before they meet up, over messaging. And it starts with one question in particular. What makes great sex for you? If they don't know how to answer that question, or they answer it in a really, I don't know, like, not very thoughtful way, it was a bit like, okay, I don't know if this is for me. If people aren't comfortable talking about what makes great sex for them, then that's, like, enough of an indication for me that, like, maybe we're not quite on the same level. It's like, well, how are we going to navigate it in the moment then if I say this isn't really comfortable for me or can we do something else or whatever? I want to know that somebody is going to be able to open their mouth and tell me what's working for them and what isn't working for them. I love what Saren does here, asking what makes great sex for you, because she actually gets the answer to two questions. One, can you talk about sex? In other words, can I trust you to speak up for yourself and to listen when I do? And then obviously the content of their answer makes a difference too. That's part two. Are we into the same stuff? Or is there enough crossover to give it a go? Being more confident in every realm means that I am more confident saying to somebody, nah, this isn't really going to work for me, or like, nah, I'm not really interested, or hi, I'm very interested, 
you should call me or you should come over or we should do this thing. And then once you're actually in, I don't want to say the bedroom because it's not always the bedroom, but once you're then in that situation, the confidence to literally just say what's working and what's not working. Like Saren said before, there are situations where saying, fuck off, is totally called for. Like, I've definitely had experiences with some dudes where it's like, okay, you're in it just for yourself, you know, and you're not paying attention. But there are other times when it pays to be a bit more gentle. I don't want to make somebody else feel, like, embarrassed or ashamed because this is all that they know, right? We've all been trained, well, especially men, have been sort of fed this mythology (laughs) their entire lives that their job is to take responsibility for a woman's pleasure, that the only way that we're going to come is because of a man. And then they learn all that they know about it from porn. And then women are not really given any kind of information or agency to be like, I'd like it if you didn't do that and did this other thing instead that you've never seen represented before in front of you. So for people to admit that they don't somehow magically know everything about how to fuck somebody really well is vulnerable. And I can understand how that's uncomfortable. But you gotta just put your big kid pants on. Like, none of us know what we're doing. Like, sex is ridiculous. When you think about it, we're all out here getting naked and, like, rubbing and bumping these, like, weird parts of each other together. There's no life and death involved here. It's not that serious. And one of us can try something and be like, oh, that didn't work. Okay, back to the drawing board, you know? Okay, here is way too much information for you. I'm having great sex too, like Saren. My sex life is different because it's within a monogamous, long-term relationship, which is the kind of sex we're going to hear about in episode 6, because couples certainly don't have this figured out. But something I've noticed recently is how much my partner and I talk during sex. Like, oh, actually, I want to turn over. Like that? Yeah, like that. Oh, wait, 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 i got to move my leg. How's that? Oh, that's amazing. Oh no, I've lost it. Can we change it up? Yeah, of course. I'll never forget one of my friends and colleagues saying like, it's such a mood killer to stop and talk all the time. And I was like, well, maybe it is for you, but it certainly isn't for me. And I get that for some people it might feel uncomfortable, but even just, it doesn't have to be like, hello, may I unbutton your pants now? It can just be, is this okay? Do you like that? Does that feel good? Because it's not just about a consent thing. It's not being like, is this literally okay that I'm touching you? When you say, is this okay? Somebody all of a sudden has the space to go, yeah, but can you go a little to the right? Or we're like, yeah, can you slow it down? Or can I grab this other thing and like use that as well? Or, Or whatever it might be. Once you open up that space to be talking about it, that just makes your sex so much better. This myth that checking in slams on the brakes and kills the mood is one that we need to do away with forever. You're already having a conversation, a physical one. Your body's responding to each other's. Checking in is just overlaying a verbal conversation on top of that one. Like, the hottest thing ever is, and quite honestly, like, it's such a turn-on, is seeing somebody respond to what I'm doing. Again, even if it's nonverbal, like that to me is the hottest thing on the planet, is somebody who is aware and responsive and, and reactive to what, to what you're doing or to how you're feeling. Saren has a really good example of this. I had met up with somebody that I'd like met on Tinder and we went out for some beers, had some really good chats, ended up on like a picnic table in a park or whatever and sort of started making out. And he was a really dominant person. And I remember he just like grabbed the back of my shirt and bra or something and sort of like it just was just a very, very strong movement. And I remember sort of just going like, okay, whoa. And immediately he just relaxed completely and was just like, all good. Like, you okay? This person overstepped. They misread the situation, went too hard, too fast. And that could have been the beginning of the end for this hookup. But it wasn't, because he was paying attention. He immediately withdrew, 
checked in, made sure she was okay, and that was more important than the mistake. And actually, Saren was really into it. I remember fantasizing about that and like playing it back in my mind of like having this person sort of just cross the boundary and immediately recognize they crossed the boundary and just immediately step back from it. And I was just like, holy shit, that was hot. <laughs> so funny. I it's just so that funny. It goes into the elbow. Yeah, into the, the instant replay thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's time to introduce another idea that's going to level up your sex life, though it can take a little bit of time to sink in. And a lot of queer folks already know this. Yes, I see your smug smile. You can skip ahead. Gay people are better at sex than straight people. Not the first time we've heard that one, Dan Savage. But there is more to it than that. It's not about how gay people have sweeter sex moves, though that's probably the case as well. It's about consent. Because when we get to consent, it's the beginning of the conversation. When straight people get to consent, it's the end of the conversation. Two men are going to bed together for the first time. You can't default to anal intercourse. Even if you could, who is going to be doing the penetrating and who is going to be penetrated has to be negotiated. Straight people get to consent and they stop talking because everything after that is assumed. With heterosex, once consent's been established, it's treated as blanket permission to enact the full script. But for queer sex, there isn't one script, so you have to talk it out, which makes for more fun and exploration because you get to write your own script. When I was young and gay and first started having sex, the first guy I went to bed with looked at me and said, what are you into? It's an open-ended question where I was forced first to think about it, but then empowered to rule anything in and rule anything out. This is huge, what Dan just said. And we're going to get him to say it again, because if you only take one thing from this whole series, especially if you're a man who sleeps with women or vice versa, this is it. The four magic words, what are you into? Mm -hmm. What are you into? If you could start from scratch and pick and choose only the stuff you love to do, what would you choose? And what would you skip? You know, the first time when I was a teenager and a guy asked me that question, I wasn't prepared to answer it. Yeah, I feel like as a teenager, I would have been paralyzed by that. Yeah, I was a little paralyzed. And it's hard to say those things out loud because you feel like sex should happen spontaneously or you want the other person to take all the responsibility for the sex so that you're not guilty of the dirty things that are about to happen or happened, which I think is a big thing for women because of the constant slut shaming. So sometimes men are flying blind and guessing wrong because the woman didn't feel like she could say or didn't say. And it sets the sexual encounter up for failure. It makes the bad experience much likelier without the guy being a monster, not just the guy being a selfish dick. The guy's being put in this position where he has to guess. And what are the odds that he's gonna guess wrong? or guess selfishly in the absence of any other input. While you're thinking about what you're into, about what good sex means to you, keep another thing in mind. Sex doesn't just mean penis in vagina. And it's shocking to many straight people when you tell them that when a gay guy says to another gay guy the first time they're gonna have sex, what are you into? That one of them often will reply, I'm not into anal. Because then what's going to happen? Straight people are like, wait, what? Imagine if a, in a straight sexual encounter, a woman was empowered to say yes to sex. And then what are you into? I'm not into vaginal intercourse. What are we, so what are we doing here? <laughs> yes to outer course. Yes to maybe oral sex. Yes to some kind of fantasy play. Yes to all sorts of things short of penetration. Most straight guys' heads would explode. Their heads would explode because straight guys have been taught that saying yes to sex means saying yes to penetration, because that's what real sex is. But sex can mean so many things. There's fingering, hand jobs, mutual masturbation, oral sex, either individually or at the same time if you're into the 69er classic. Shall I keep going? Okay, I will. There's anal sex, other butt stuff, central massage, play with toys, phone or video sex. Come on. The only limit is your imagination. The same straight guys who complain that gay guys get laid more, have more sex, we define sex more broadly. So of course we have more sex. And a lot more counts, as far as we're concerned, as sex. 
And once we can all get our heads around this, we're going to open ourselves up to a whole lot more hot opportunities. Or hot opportunities. I just made that up. And so if there's anything that straight people should steal from gay people, it's what are you into? But like, ask that question, honor the answer, but also have an answer. Somebody that I had sort of met like a year prior ended up in the same place again, just messing around one night. We're back with Saren now. We had decided we were not going to have penetrative sex for a couple of reasons. We were making out this bunch of foreplay. Um, and then I started going down on him. Saren spent about 25 minutes just going all in on pleasuring this guy and reveling in his enjoyment of it. And he was just like... What is going on? This is like better than most of the sex that I've had. You're giving me this insane amount of pleasure and I'm not giving anything in return. And I literally remember in that moment in time being so turned on and getting so much like joy and satisfaction out of watching the pleasure that I was giving to this other person without him touching me at all. And it was so much fun. It was so enjoyable just watching that person, like taking pleasure in someone else's pleasure. I'm aware that the example that we've used here of awesome, not penis and vagina sex is a guy getting a blowjob. But we're not talking about someone giving a blowjob to get someone out of their house, like Harper's hand job. This was a really empowering experience for Saren. Because a huge component of good sex, most, if not all of the time, is that the people involved are getting turned on by turning each other on. And I think that's a really important and overlooked component of sex in general. Like, if you're not taking enjoyment out of watching someone else feel really good, then what are you doing here, you know? Thank you, Saren. What an inspiration. Just before I said goodbye to her, I asked her what I ask pretty much everyone that I talk to. What is good sex to you? And her answer leads really well into our next guest. Good sex is sex that makes you feel good about yourself. Physically and emotionally. Good sex feels good physically and emotionally. Clementine Ford also said something like this. You remember Clem. She's the Australian feminist and author. This one. When I have sex with people now, it tends to be with people who I know reasonably well and who I trust and who I have feeling for and I know have feeling for me. Like Saren, Clem isn't in a long-term romantic relationship, but she does still explore connections with other people. Where you can you can express like a desire to explore certain things and know that even if they don't want to do it, that they'll never meet you with ridicule or shame. So it kind of feels like I'm finally having the sex that I would want all people to have, which and certainly all girls to be having, which is really about, you know, the pleasures of the body and, you know, a respectful engagement with other humans that makes me feel more alive. Good sex should make you feel more alive. There's a writer called Jacqueline Friedman who is a sex positivity writer, a feminist writer, and she's done a lot of work around consent. And she has a, a single line that I kind of carry with me and I and I say to anyone whenever I'm talking about consent and sex, and that is that sex is something that should make all people feel more human by the end of it and not less. Good sex makes you feel more human, not less. Because I'm a trans person and I have a sense of, of what it feels like to be dehumanised and I don't like that. It's not sexy to me. This is Sydney, our friend who talked about being fat, queer and trans in episode three. Sydney also has a bit of experience with casual hookups. For him, that's mostly with cis gay guys. And remember, cis means not trans. And because of the issues that a lot of trans people face around being fetishized or just generally treated badly, Sydney's gotten good at screening potential hookups through the apps, mostly by messaging first. I want someone to be like, no, I see you as a human being, and that's a good green flag for safety stuff. And quite often people don't read. People don't read. They just look at the picture. They see a hot guy and they're like, hey, I like you. And like I quite often will get messages of like, send me a dick pic. And I'm like, oh, like, do you know what you're getting when I send you this? So I always check. Yeah. 
And for the most part, people are like, yeah, yeah, I know that you're trans. This is sweet. (laughs) If this is confusing for you, any of it, just take a moment to pause and Google maybe trans men. Have a read and spend some time soaking up the information and we'll still be here when you get back. Just pause now. The rest of you, let's keep going. In terms of my bits between my legs, I've got a <laughs> Which vagina. I would never ask, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And I just talked over you, so you have to say that again now. What did I say? <laughs> I've got a vagina. <laughs> In terms of the bits between my legs, I've got a vagina. You're really making me say that again. I Thank did. You. Yeah, I did. We'll probably just use all of that now. So hang on. When someone says, I want a dick pic, and you say, you know what you're getting, and they're like, yeah, I do, then you're sending a bubble shot. Yeah. yeah well, nice. it's, I've got a little dick. Okay. It's teeny. <laughs> One of the side effects of taking testosterone is an enlarged clitoris. And before you go saying that's not the same thing, it actually is. It's the exact same biological material. Look it up. I've also got a lot of strap-on ones. Yes, true. So like, so you can be like, do you want me to strap on yeah, for this pic? There's lots of different dick pics I can send, actually. But usually I check with someone first. When we get to a point where we want to exchange photos or, you know, work out hey, maybe we're going to meet up in person. I always kind of get quite explicit to be like, do you know that I'm a trans guy and what that means? Because not everyone knows what that means. And usually I try and do that via messaging beforehand so we're on the same page. Because then I know what I'm up for and what they're up for and if we're going to be a good match, I guess. Because there's lots of things that people can do with their bodies and not everyone's into the same thing. So I like to kind of filter people out by, by having a chat with them first. I know that Sydney's experience is quite specific, but there is a lot in what he's saying that we could all learn from this. Like about filtering people out by having a chat first. And while you're doing that, it's not just about keeping an eye out for red flags. You want to see green flags too. I think something that I'm not sure like men, particularly date women, understand is that you might be like, well, I'm a safe guy, but we don't know that. This is Harper, the one who wanked someone off to get him to leave her house. You need to demonstrate that, and even if you are, there's still all these past experiences, all this societal messaging that still makes it feel unsafe to us. So it's like you have to work extra to make it feel safe. I saw something online once, and I haven't been able to find it since. It's driving me mad, so send me a message if you know what I'm talking about. But it was a tweet or a post from somebody saying, imagine a dozen eggs where you know one is rotten. This is what women are facing when they're dating and sleeping with men. Yes, most of the eggs are delicious and safe, but one really isn't. Knowing that, would you feel safe just picking an egg at random? Or would you need some assurance from the eggs that they're good ones? Yeah, we're not starting on this baseline where we can assume safety. Mm. You actually have to, like, actively demonstrate that in so many ways. So what are the green flags when it comes to casual hookups? For Harper, it's similar to what Saren was talking about. When someone says, can I kiss you? It's like, they want me. Yes. Can I go down on you? Like, they want to do that. Like, it's hot. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah, like some people will be like, oh, consent's not sexy. And I'm like, it's actually like the bare minimum. Yeah, consent doesn't have to be sexy. It is the bare minimum. But for Harper... It's actually really hot. (laughs) Like... Someone else that I asked for advice about how to make casual sex go better was Chantal Otten. She's the psychosexologist based in Melbourne that we first met in episode two. And she agreed that messaging is a great place to start. It can be a bit weird when you're hooking up with someone for the first time, just kind of getting to know each other. If you're going to struggle the first few times having sex with someone, that's just your reality. You can always send a message beforehand and be like, hey, like, am I going back to your place? Are you coming back to my place? Hey, just letting you know I'm not feeling very good about, like, this. This is kind of off the table. And you can always send that in a text message beforehand, you know, even just saying, like, I don't want to go all the way tonight. If you are feeling brave enough to talk in person... You can always say to someone, it's a bit harder for me to relax with a new person and I need a lot more time and attention spent on this bit. I don't want, I don't want you to feel offended or I don't want you to pressure me at all. Um, but yeah, I just need like a lot of time on my clit or I need to use my womanizer. By the way, a womanizer is a sex toy, a clitoral stimulator. 
not everyone has that confidence, of course, but I think the more you can start practicing just saying like one thing that you like a little bit more, the more you can develop those skills and abilities to really connect with the person that you're hooking up with. But I also think you don't do it before you're going into the bedroom or when you're in like the Uber home or when you're in bed together. Like you make it a cheeky, flirty conversation. So what do you like? So what are you into? Lean in and see if someone can then open up to you a little bit more. I was about to tell you everything, the way you did that. Oh, that was no way. Execution. Stop it. Oh, my God. <laughs> Melody, that's so interesting. Oh, Thank you. <laughs> Just so embarrassing how any time a woman pretends to flirt with me on this podcast, I turn into an absolute idiot. Awesome. Great for me. But I think at the end of the day, you have to advocate for yourself You won't always succeed, but don't beat yourself up. This stuff is really difficult. And it is messy and it's a bit strange, but that's how we learn from these experiences and we grow from them. And no matter what, remember the old classic consent message still stands. If it's not feeling right, then you do have like the permission to stop at any time as well. Are you going? Because I'm recording the podcast. (laughs) I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on what, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo of that got to journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line no, there. That, that, I think that it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're, I'm not worried about it at all. Nothing if in there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Chris. Yes. Do you want another very broad question? I've got a very broad question today. Go on, then. What do you know about sports? Up the wires, go the Black Caps, and don't forget Premier League football. Oh, you do love a bit of Premier League footage, do. don't you? What team is it that you support again? Oh, the current champions, Manchester City. I think they're pronounced Arsenal. It's pronounced Arsenal. Uh, but you know what's good about football? It what? They don't regulate soccer. I'm sorry? There's a sport that regulates sock height? Indeed there is, and it's cycling. That's very strange. Why on earth do they regulate it? Well, I know, but if you want to find out, you'll have to listen to the Big Stuff Quiz, wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) Oh, that's a cliffhanger indeed. The Big Stuff Quiz is brought to you by Melbourne Every Bit Different. Welcome back to The Good Sex Project. We're with Sydney, who's about to say those four magic words. I mean, usually I, I lead with, like, what are you into? And then they'll, they'll give you a little menu, and then I give a little menu back, and then you kind of go from there, and then you're like, ah, so when you say you like toys, what does that mean for you? And then you'd be like, I've got capacity to top, or whatever. Some guys just don't want to have a conversation. They just want to be like, are you down to fuck? Let's go. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I want to know what's on the menu. And I want to know that sex with you will leave me feeling more human, not less. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of kind of fetishistic stuff that's basically like, makes it very clear that people just want to fuck something, but not me. And I'm not into that. I'm, I'm a Leo. I'm like, I want it to be about me. And so it should be. There's something we haven't really touched on yet that's actually having a big impact on the sex we're having, and that's porn. Before, Saren, she's our BFM sex radio host, mentioned that some guys she sleeps with seem to be performing for an invisible camera. You can definitely tell, like, roughly how old someone is based off of whether or not they like learned everything they know from porn and like there's a very clear generational split porn's really important to talk about because whether you like it or not it's not going anywhere and what we're watching on our screens is making its way into our sex lives and the sex lives of young people we're leaving together and he's like tried like choking me and like and you could take it up the arse and I'm like no and he's like I think you could and I'm like no and I've definitely had friends who have been in situations with men who have like choked them or they've slapped them or they've spat in their mouth or they've done something that they have not asked to do at all the problem with pornography is that like you just get more extreme to the extent where like you know young men who are just 
obsessed with like watching pornography have these mad expectations of what real life sex is like because they've just seen the more aggressive ends of the spectrum. In our empowerment episode, we learned about how certain sexual practices have moved from being accepted to expected, and anal sex was the example we used. Us allowing porn to function as sex education creates a reality distortion field. Here's Dan Savage. And we don't give kids the critical tools they need to understand porn. Pornography isn't inherently bad, and you're not bad for watching it. For some people, porn's a great tool. But if your very first exposure to sex is through mainstream free porn, then yeah, there's a chance you'll take some troubling ideas into your sexual experiences. That is not porn's fault. It's the failure to do sex education differently in a world where porn exists and adults want the easy access to porn that adults have, which then results in young people having access to porn um, before they understand what porn is, that porn is a performance, that porn is to sex as action movies are to Tuesdays. There isn't much research on whether porn is getting more extreme. But one study in 2020, which examined more than 4,000 heterosexual scenes from Pornhub and X video, found that 45% included at least one act of aggression. The most common ones were spanking, gagging, slapping, hair pulling, and choking. And women were on the receiving end of those acts 97% of the time. And their response was almost always either neutral or positive, not negative. The reason the researchers looked at that is because we, the consumers, are more likely to mimic things we see rewarded on our screens. Monkey see, monkey do. So let's zoom in on one of those behaviours for just a sec. Choking. Erotic asphyxia, or breath play, is the reduction of oxygen to the brain during sexual activity. And it's something that some people are into. They say it can heighten sexual arousal and make orgasms feel more intense but it can be really dangerous, which is concerning because more and more people are giving it a go. In one 2022 study from the US, nearly 5,000 college or university-level students were sampled and 58% of women reported having been choked during sex. A quarter of women were first choked by age 17. Debbie Herbenick at the University of Indiana uh, has done a tremendous amount of research into choking, pornography, you can clearly see the porn to all of those bad experiences pipeline. Porn putting that in front of people and then people busting that move out because it looks so hot in porn or everyone seems to like it. There's actually a really good example of how this kind of thing goes down in the TV show Euphoria. It's in episode one about halfway in when McKay and Cassie are hooking up and he busts out a casual choke. She's not into it. She's actually pretty shaken. And he apologises, I think she says, to ask next time, and things turn out okay. But when she asks him why the hell he did that, he says, I don't know, I thought you liked that. And one of the things I think is interesting about uh, Dr. Hermanic's research is that some of the guys who are doing it think they're doing it because of what she wants and aren't so into it themselves. And some of the guys who are doing it are doing it because they've been asked to do it. It's not always the surprise joke. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Because girls watch porn too. And, oh my God, yeah. Just quickly, Putty actually gave me an example of this in our interview. Remember, Putty's the musician who talked about her rocky journey to sexual empowerment in the last episode. I remember when I first asked somebody to choke me. This was in her villain era, and she's thought about it a lot since. Not just in terms of what it meant for her, but also what it would have felt like for her partner. You're choking somebody. You're putting your hands around somebody's neck. Like, that is a big thing to do. I should never have ever asked for somebody to do that to me. When I say that choking can be really dangerous, I mean it. It can lead to brain injury, memory loss, delayed stroke, and death. And its normalisation means that really dangerous people are now using rough sex gone wrong as a defence for seriously injuring or killing their sexual partner like what happened in the death of Grace Mullane here in New Zealand, as well as in way too many stories overseas. It's not just like, oh, choke me, daddy. No, you need to actually be having this conversation around what it is. A lot of young girls didn't even know it came from BDSM. They just thought it was just a normal part of sex. 
The kind of porn we have around now wasn't around when I was a teenager. If it was, I absolutely would have been just like Patty, asking for things I'd seen in porn because I thought that's what my partner wanted. Yeah, and me, I'm, I, yeah, me too. I probably would have. Back with Dan Savage. Like the first time I was asked, what are you into? I probably was trying to guess what he wanted. Totally. What, what, whatever you want to do to me is what I'm into. Which is why I said one of the important things with what are you into is figuring out what the answer actually is. Not just figuring out our yeses, but also our noes. And Dan reckons that choking should just be on the no list for anyone who's still figuring all of this stuff out. Part of porn education right now would be telling young women to rule that the fuck out. Rule out choking proactively. Like, what are you into? I am not into choking. Like, the what are you into question, one gay man to another, you often hear not into anal. It's not all like, I'm into this, I'm into that. It's not all do this, do that. It's like what you can't do. It's about limits and boundaries and being able to articulate them and feeling empowered to. Before, Patti mentioned that a lot of people don't even know that the things they're trying out, like choking or spanking, come from BDSM. This is a great place to fill in some of those blanks about what BDSM is and what non-kinky folk could stand to learn from it. I go by Jessie Marie. I am 31. I am based in Auckland. Pronouns are she, her. I'm queer and kinky. BDSM stands for bondage, discipline, sadism and masochism. Some also take the D and S to stand for dominance and submission. But we're just going to use kink or kinky as a general umbrella term for the most part. Basically, kink is sexual activity that involves practices which use physical restraints, the granting and relinquishing of control, sometimes maybe the infliction of pain. You know the stuff, ropes and whips and handcuffs. Which is a bit reductive, but also how it all started for Jessie Marie. Someone bought me furry handcuffs for my 18th, I think. And then I was working at a bar, and a woman that came in and drunk often there, she owned a swingers club. But they held BDSM events, and she was like, you should come along sometime. Jessie Marie's partner was in the Navy off overseas, and she didn't have a whole lot else going on. So she went along. I was in jeans and a T-shirt. Like, I was in streetwear, basically, when I went down there. And everyone is in, like, all varies of, like, undress and black and leather, and I was like, stuck out like a sore thumb hey and um I just walked down there and sitting at the bar and I'm like what the fuck did I just get myself into these days kink's a bigger part of Jessie Marie's life from then on forward I kept going back for more and she actually helps other people navigate kink through her mahi as an empowerment coach and her favorite part of kink is shibari which is the art of Japanese rope bondage and I love it it's my favorite thing to do for me it's getting out of my head it's that taking that control away. I'm wrapped up in rope. I can't really do anything. I leave my brain, like I just float away, and that's why I like it. If you're outside of the kink scene, kink stuff can look really risky, and that's because it is. People who do kink will tell you that. Shibari can, when you do suspension, destroy nerves if done incorrectly. But unlike those in mainstream sex land, who are practicing kinky stuff like rough sex, choking and spanking, without talking about it at all, kinky folk talk about this stuff a lot. When you're playing with someone or when you're sort of taking on a scene, I suppose, you want to sit down at the beginning and talk to the person that you're going to play with and discuss what's on the table, what's not on the table, health issues like are you asthmatic? Do you have low blood pressure? Like, what are the concerns to look out for? Um, what are you into? What are you into? What are you, like, what are your hard limits? What are your soft limits? And not just beforehand, all throughout as well. Jessie Marie uses the traffic light system. This is a classic. So red, orange and green are your safe words. Red means stop right now, we're done here. Orange means I'm reaching my limit or maybe something's not comfortable. And green is, oh yes. Everything's great. Keep doing that. And one thing that a lot of kinky people treat as a total no-no is renegotiating someone's no during the act. Because your endorphins are flowing and you might say yes to something that afterwards you didn't want to say yes to. So, before, during. I mean, while we're at it, we may as well jump in after as well, right? What level of aftercare is up to the individual. 
And so aftercare is basically bringing you back to normal, bringing your system and your body and your head back into your body um, because you can have out-of-body sort of experiences. And some people like cuddles, some people need water, some people just need to be left alone. It's kind of like checking in on somebody's come down the day after a big night out. And with aftercare, ideally you want to check in not just on the time after the play, but maybe the next day and just check in that someone hasn't dropped. We've got one more person to meet before we wrap up this episode. And it's another kinky person, one who doesn't just see kink as really safe, but in their case, healing. So my name is C. I am Takatapui. I am a queer person. Uh, I use they, them pronouns. Takatapui is an umbrella term for queer Māori. It's an all-encompassing kapu, and it can mean a variety of things. It brings your whakapapa into, into the picture as well. We're going to hear just a little bit of C's backstory. And just a note, we're about to talk about childhood sexual abuse. Not for long, but we are going there. My, like, earliest experiences, they weren't consensual, and they also didn't make sense to me at the time. C was abused by multiple people at different stages through their childhood, which obviously really messed them up. To have literally been handled as an object for someone else's pleasure or fucked up fantasies or whatever, and you didn't have the strength to fight back or even recognise what was going on or how wrong it was, it just skews the shit out of you. And and that so that led me there into being like not knowing who I was, what was real, who to trust, or you know, all of that kind of shit. When C was a teenager and should have been stepping into their sexuality on their own terms, that general flow of things was a pretty rough passage, I would say. Yeah, choppy waters. Because it's like you have an expected life trajectory and you start puberty and then you start dating and then you kiss someone and then, you know, and it's like that natural thing is like, it's a process of learning. But when your start isn't on your terms, you have to do a whole lot of unlearning and then learning. If you've never been told that no is an option, if the times that you said no or tried to fight back or whatever or, like, reclaim your body also ended up in a no, then it's like, I don't know, it's almost like a surrender. It's like, oh, I guess this is just what I have to do. This is really grim and hard stuff, but it's also stuff that C feels is really important to talk about. The shame isn't theirs to carry. Yeah, I feel a lot of compassion and a lot of grace for little me. A lot of fury too, but mostly grace. The reason we're hearing from C now is that they did figure out how to reclaim their body and then know. And it was kink that showed them how to do it. Ultimately, it's consent-based. It's almost like it's contractual. You know, you have these agreed set of rules and things you want to do, and it's like two people reaching a common goal but you can action out those dynamics with people that you trust will honour and respect your body and they trust that you will do the same for them. And so for me, that was a game changer. For the first time in their whole life, C felt that it wasn't just okay to say no, it was expected and there'd be no repercussions. Well, you didn't have to justify why something's a no or why something didn't feel good or why something just... No questions asked, I believe you, you know yourself better than I do. It's on your terms. Yeah. A revolutionary experience, honestly. Yeah, after years of, of bad sex. Amazing stuff. Ngā mihi nui, kia kwesi. All right, let's have a think about what we've learned. No matter who you are or what your history, you're allowed to assert your needs. If you don't, no one else will. I get that it can be really difficult and sometimes dangerous. You're not overreacting and those feelings are totally justified. But it is your right to say stop or slow down or how about we try it this way instead. It's your body 
And as we've heard, most of us haven't had any guidance on this stuff. If your sexual partner's a good person, which I truly believe most people are, there's a good chance they're trying their best to please you, and if they're getting it wrong, they'll want to know that. And if you haven't given it a go yet, why not try What Are You Into? Ask the question, listen to the answer, and be prepared with your own sexy menu. And then compare. Find the places where your lists overlap or where your curiosity is piqued. And throw out the scripts that aren't serving you. Nothing about sex is compulsory. It's what are you into? Finally, casual sex doesn't mean no efforts required. Just because you don't want to be somebody's boyfriend or girlfriend or they friend doesn't mean you get to treat someone badly. You're dealing with a human being with their own wants and needs and strengths and insecurities. And they deserve to leave this interaction with you feeling more human, not less. Good sex is fun, flirty, silly. It's safe, spiritually, emotionally, physically, all of that stuff. It's free from shame. And it's fun. fun. (laughs) Coming up in the next episode of The Good Sex Project. How do you protect yourself from being used emotionally? We look at the early stages of a new relationship. We were like constantly looking at our calendars and being like, when can we next see each other? and talk about how to spot red flags, including red flags that look like green ones, in the hopes of avoiding that one bad egg. What are all the flags? What are the fucking flags? See you then. Thank you for listening to The Good Sex Project, a series made with the support of New Zealand On Air. If you want to get in touch with me or with the team, please send us a message. You can do that on Instagram at goodsexproject or email goodsexproject at gmail.com. We love to hear from you and we are preparing for a second season. So get in touch if you have something you really want to hear about or if you have a story of your own to share. And of course, if you're enjoying the series, tell your friends and give us some stars and some nice words on your favourite podcast platform. The Good Sex Project was written and developed by me, Melody Thomas. Our producer and audio editor is Kirsten Johnstone from Popsock Media. Phil Brownlee recorded me in the studio, and our sound mix is by Mark Chesterman. The beautiful soundtrack music is by Paddy Fred, with additional music by the Wellington band Womb. Find both of them on Bandcamp. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So, for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts.